Welcome to my podcast, Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm Renee Beery, an interior designer with a passion for managing construction projects, large and small. My mission is to empower women, both homeowners and interior designers, to manage renovation projects like a pro. My goal in sharing my knowledge and experience from working in the field for the past 29 years will allow you to avoid the mistakes I have seen and go into projects confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your projects will be as smooth and as successful as possible. Depending on the size of project that you are working on, you may feel unsure about what your responsibilities are in a job or worry that there are overlapping responsibilities. This is something I've talked to a lot of designers about recently and things that I have come across in my own career. So today I want to talk about how you define your role on the various size projects that you will be a part of. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. And before we dive into today's topic, I want to remind everyone that for just a few more days, I'm going to be offering free 20-minute phone calls if you will rate and review this podcast. It is the best way for other designers to find the podcast. That is how this algorithm world works. And it is a fantastic opportunity that designers have been taking me up on to pick my brain about things that are going on in your own life and career. So if you want a free 20-minute call with me, all you have to do is rate and review the podcast, go on to whatever platform you're listening to this on, and take a screenshot of it and email it to me, and I will send you a link to get you into my calendar. Now, if this is something you can't figure out how to do, there will be information in the show notes telling you how best to go about it on the platforms. I have had such interesting conversations with the designers already and look forward to having more for those of you that take advantage of this offer while it lasts. So today's topic is an interesting one that keeps coming up because of a variety of reasons. One, you will find yourself on a variety size of projects, right? Whether it is a custom new build or whether it is a new build with a community that offers design packages per se, or whether it is a mid-sized project where the construction company has their own, quote, project manager, or whether it's one you're managing on your own building the team, right? So there are basically four different types of projects that an interior designer with our skill set of managing projects can be a part of. And so it can be interesting and frustrating to understand how you define your role with these various projects, particularly if you're only used to building your own teams and running them, and then you're given this wonderful opportunity to do a larger project, but you're stuck going, well, now what do I do? Because there are other people with similar roles and you don't want to overlap your responsibilities. It doesn't, that doesn't move the ball forward. Sometimes clients can question, well, why are you doing it if they're doing it? So let's break this all down so that you know what to do and how best to handle it so that you have a clear path and your client has a clear understanding of who's doing what. So let's start with the small projects, right? You are building your own team. You are managing everything. And that means literally everything. You're handling the scheduling. You're handling all site visits. You're handling all of the purchasing, you're handling all the design specs, you're handling the client, you're handling everything, right? The deliveries, the drop-offs, managing any kind of damages that may come up, literally everything on a project. That is frankly the most 
straightforward. A client understands it. One member in the course asked about how to describe all of that. And I would break down those details, what the client can expect week after week. I estimate there'll be a certain number of site visits during demo. I estimate we work into this number of site visits when we're doing rough-ins, et cetera, et cetera. So the client has a full understanding from the beginning what to expect from the designer that they've hired to manage this project. So that is a lot more straightforward because you're in charge of everything. Now, there are a lot of designers that get involved with new builds that have kind of a builder's package, right? Maybe it's a new neighborhood. And so the builder will have a spec house. And inside the spec house, they might have, you know, say five different countertops and five different flooring options and cabinet options and door fronts and things like that. Now, those builders typically have what they call a designer, and you can't see me doing air quotes right now, that camps out in that spec home in order to help their clients. Now, I say air quotes because typically they are not a trained designer, but to give them credit, the builder can't assume that that all of their clients will have personal designers helping them with their projects, right? So they do need someone to point them in the right direction and help them make their selections for their new build. Now, if you are a part of this project, which I think is an exciting project for designers to take on that next step of a larger project, because there still will be a supervisor on the project, there still will be a supervisor on the project who will likely be managing the bigger picture of the project, the scheduling, hiring the trades, etc. And so you can be learning along the way as you watch the super handle those responsibilities on a much bigger scale. That is a great teachable moment that designers should take full advantage of and learn as they go on these bigger projects. But what else can a designer be doing on a project with this scope? So you have a quote unquote designer to help make the selections, you are going to have to work alongside them. Or at least I have always had that experience. I've never been able to basically make the designer take that day off and have me take my client into these model homes and make the selections. And that's okay. It it can be a little annoying, but the best thing to do if you can is show up a few minutes early. So if you're not actually with your client when you're walking through the door, get there 10 minutes early, talk to the designer, explain your situation, explain how you know the client. Perhaps you've worked with them in the past and that can lead to a smoother selection process, right? Make it known that you are there to help that designer, but also make it known that you are going to take the lead. You may lean on the designer. Maybe they have some factoids about certain products that you aren't familiar with. Maybe it's a cabinet line you haven't worked with before. You know, things of that nature can bring the designer in, make them feel a part of the situation and not be territorial about it, but also allows you to take the lead. And if you can establish that in advance, and if you can't get there in advance, then you can always call the designer and let them know what the client's expectations are. I mean, frankly, if a client has hired you to help in that role, then that designer that works for the builder needs to know that you are actually the one the client wants to hear the most from. So it can be a little prickly, but again, if you are transparent in the beginning and allow that designer to feel a part of the meeting, but not lead the meeting, that's usually the most successful path to get to all of those selections that need to be made. 
Now, the other thing about the quote designers is they usually have good taste, but they're not technically trained. That's at least in my experience. So, of course, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but the ones I have come in contact with are typically young. They may have gone to design school. They may not have. They may have never worked in the industry or they have maybe worked in a supporting industry, right? They may have worked in a tile store or something along the lines or a cabinet maker that the builder had come to know and therefore hired that person on to help with these selections. So this is also an opportunity for you to apply your technical skills, right? If someone's looking at white marbles, you might want to tell your client how hard they are to maintain. Whether they pick them in the end is up to the client, but you need to be out front and telling them how difficult they can be to maintain, you know, choosing honed over polished if that's an option. And hopefully you can take the pre-selected items and elevate them to a custom level. Sometimes that's not possible or sometimes the upcharge is obscene. I've seen that happen before where I know damn well it's not going to cost as much as the builder is going to charge. But basically it's an annoyance fee that the builder doesn't want to go outside of his comfort zone. So there are some things in there that you can also help guide your client appropriately because again, they have hired you to guide them to the selections you think will be best for their new home. So beyond that, sort of ties into this next category and that's a large construction, whether it is this sort of builder pre-selected finishes or whether it is a custom build, there will be a supervisor running the project. So what does that mean? Well, the good news and the bonus is they will be building the team. They will be making the schedule. So that's a task that comes right off your list. And frankly, that's okay. Like I mentioned earlier, if you aren't as comfortable with this size of a project, it's a great opportunity to learn from a close position, how that supervisor sets up his trades, what order they come in, how he estimates the amount of time each trade will need, et cetera, et cetera. He will likely provide charts. He will likely provide very detailed spreadsheets with schedules. And those are something that you can either incorporate in your own business for the next job that you may be running on your own, or it's something that you can just learn from and keep that data information at hand. So when a client asks, you have some known and proven information that, I don't know, the plumbing rough-in takes approximately three weeks on a project this size, right? So either way, you are learning whether you implement those tools in your own projects or whether you just compile the data and apply that knowledge to the next project. But what I really want you to do is to have a very detailed conversation with the supervisor. Now, this is not standing on the job site. Hey, do you have 10 minutes? This should be a phone call or an in-person that is set up to discuss your roles and use that language. I want you to call and say, I'd like to set up a meeting. I've been hired by the client to guide them through this process. I want to make sure that you and I aren't overlapping in our responsibilities. I want to know how I can support you to move this project forward. You know, make it known that you are a team player and that you want to help, but also make it known that you are there as an expert hired by the client. So basically, you've both been hired by the client. I don't want the contractor to treat you as a secondary or a lesser figure on this team. And they may try. And that's where you are going to have to circle back and double down as to how you can add value to a project. Now, you may have to do that throughout the entire project. I, I hate to tell you that. But I also want you to know in advance that that may happen and has happened to me. 
But more often than not, as you prove your value, as you stay on top of things, the contractor will start leaning on you. So what are some things that you want to talk about with this contractor? You want to start talking about the schedule long before he's actually produced it. He's probably already modeled one out based on his other previous projects. So you want to start talking about the schedule. You want to know where the deadlines are, let's say plumbing fixtures, and you're the one that's helping specify them. You know, when do you need that all on site? Not selected, but on site. These are the kinds of action items that a contractor is going to be looking for to stay on his schedule. Because keep in mind, if he falls behind on the schedule, he has has to not only answer to the client, but he has to answer to the owner of his company. So you want him to be in good standing with those two people. And the best way to do it is to stay ahead of him and the deadlines. And that's something you can easily do once you know them. So there's your conversation point. Hey, I want to support you all the way through. I want to stay ahead of schedule. Uh, let's say I've worked with this client for the last 10 years and she tends to hem and haw a lot. So I need a lot of runway in order to get her to make final selections. So not only are you telling him you want to help him stay on track and meet deadlines, you're also giving him insight to the client. Because here's the thing, that contractor has maybe met that client once because he likely isn't the one that has made the sale, right? So if this is a big construction company, they have met with the owner of the construction company. Your client has been wined and dined by the owner of the company to get the project signed and contracted. Then a super is assigned to the project. That super may or may not even meet the client before the project starts. So literally, they know nothing about this client other than the scope of the project. So if you know this client, if you've worked with them before, or hell, if you've just done decorating, that still gives a lot of insight to this client that will be valuable for the contractor to know. You can even go so far as say, Hey, listen, uh, the wife will show up on a project. She might make a decision. And then the husband, I've known him to come and contradict the decision the next day. This, again, adds value to the project because the contractor can now know, all right, if I hear the wife make a decision, I might call this designer, ask her what they think of it, and maybe have to pause before implementing it until I hear whether the husband is going to green light it or not. Right. So your value on a project isn't always just lighting and plumbing and electrical. It is the personalities that are going to have to work together successfully to bring this project to life. So you're going to talk to the contractor about that. You're also going to talk to the contractor about selections and purchasing. So this comes into the budget. They will have, if it's a new build, they will have a multi-page spreadsheet with the selections that need to be made for this scope of work, and they will have budget numbers. Now, again, if you've listened to me for any period of time, you know the one word I cannot stand. Really, it is just the devil of a project is the word allowance. So I want you to get a hold of the budget from the contractor. Now, he may need permission from the client, or you can just ask your client directly, I'd like to see the budget. Do not be surprised nor offended if there's hesitation or a pregnant pause. I have had this before. It's understandable because people, frankly, they don't feel comfortable talking about money. But let's be honest, if you're working on a new build and it's a certain size, you probably have a pretty good gauge as to how much money they're spending. And that's what you need to let the client know. I understand this can be uncomfortable because this is finances and your personal budget. However, 
I am very skilled at understanding budgets where the numbers are high, where the numbers are low, and how to control the ones that are called allowances. And I have never had a client say, no, I'm good, Renee. No, I'm going to go it alone and hope for the best. They always say, oh, thank goodness. Could you explain some of this to me? Because frankly, they've looked at it once. They probably had a review with the contractor, but it may actually not be the super. It may have been the owner of the construction company and they are overwhelmed, right? They're given this huge long list of every single item, all the labor costs. And this, of course, includes roofing and framing and plumbing roughing and numbers they don't understand. I mean, a homeowner may look at a budget and know that a, say, $500 toilet sounds maybe a little high, but within reason. But if they look at framing and concrete and roofing numbers, that is something that no average homeowner should know, let alone understand whether it's high or low. And if you're driving, I hope you haven't veered off the side of the road. I don't expect you to know it as well because I don't know it. But what you can do is lump it all together in order to assure the client that your educated eyes can look at a budget, make sense of it almost immediately, and then direct them in a better path if needed, especially when it comes to an allowance. Now, if you're new and don't understand what the word allowance means, an allowance is a number that a contractor uses. It's actually just a formula when the client hasn't made selections. So allowances you will typically see in tile or stone or light fixtures, sometimes even some cabinetry, fireplace mantles, things of that nature that really can swing all over the board. So they will use an allowance. But please hear me when I say that allowances, again, are just a formula. And I've never seen the formula actually be accurate. And that is why I can't stand an allowance. Because a homeowner will read, I don't know, $20 a square foot for tile and a number at the end let's say it's $5,000. And they say, great, that's fantastic. Okay, well, this contractor builds homes like this, so I'm assuming this is a good number. Wrong. And this, again, you can explain to the client. It is a formula based on nothing to do with the individual client, nothing to do with past projects. It is simply a formula. So the sooner you help a client wrangle those allowance numbers to the ground and make them actual, that's when they'll know their total budget. Until that time, it is simply a guesstimate of how much they think the tile will cost for the bathroom. And if this is a new build and let's say there's four or five bathrooms, those numbers can add up really fast because of the selections that are actually made. So this is a really critical component and one, again, you can talk to the contractor about. So if the contractor says, hey, I can't send you the budget until you know the Joneses say yes, that's fine. And that's when you have the conversation with the client. But explain to the contractor the need for you to do this. And I don't want you to imply that they have under budgeted something. You know, sometimes contractors will get a little defensive because, frankly, they know they've under budgeted. And this is not how you want to start a project. So you want to start the project as a team player and say, hey, I know how allowances are built. I know this client likely without even seeing it, she's going to be over these allowances. I want to get these set as actuals so that they have a full understanding of the budget and nobody's the bad guy, right? Like literally write that down and say that to the contractor. The contractor is going to be like, okay, this designer uh, wants to help me out. 
Yes, these allowances are simply budgets. She gets that. She wants to help me in the end make them actual. Not only will that help with the budget numbers, but those selections will be made. They can be ordered. Moving on. The second item that I want you to talk to the contractor about is the actual purchasing of items. So a contractor, depending on where you are and depending on the contractor, they have different ways of creating their fee structures. Some are percentage of the construction total. Some are square foot price. Some are supervision price. Some have combinations of those. Some have purchases at their wholesale plus a markup. I hate to say it, and you know it drives me crazy, but they all sort of run differently. So you have to basically just strike right through and say, listen, I want you to have the conversation of how you and the contractor will handle the purchases. Now, if they say, oh no, we do all the purchases through us, that's how we contracted with the client, then you say, okay, what if I have bring on a resource that you don't have an account with, right? Let's say it's some decorative lighting or it's a cabinet company or you know, it's a tile vendor that they don't purchase through. Sometimes you'll get pushback and they'll say, no, no, we'll just open the account. I would push back on that and say, it's fine. Why don't I purchase the ones you don't currently have accounts for? You don't want to go through that paperwork nightmare, right? Because as we've discussed in the past, the business model that works best in our industry is to not only bill for your time, but also to collect markup on purchases. So it's an important piece that you want to control as much as possible. It is much harder, I'm not going to lie, when it's a big construction company because they often want that same fee. They understand how we all make money and they would rather make that money than pass it along to us. Now they may say something like, no, 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 we're in charge of all of the purchases because we can control the expediting and the deliveries, yada, yada, yada. You can reassure them. I also have receiving companies. I also can receive deliveries. I also, you know, check for damages, what have you, and push back gently enough to stand firm in what you're saying and that you will be purchasing the things that they don't have current accounts for. Now, whether he pushes you off to their bookkeeper to go over accounts, I've had that happen in the past and I sort of push that again back at them and say, why don't we handle it selection by selection? Because I don't want to spend an hour with a bookkeeper going through, okay, you have this account. Oh no, I have that account. It's a waste of time. So again, that sometimes they push that into an, you know, kind of that annoyance factor to get you to just go, okay, fine, you do all the purchases. And I have heard designers say, you know what, Renee, just didn't seem worth my effort to push that topic further. So I'm not there at this individual conversation you're having. You're going to have to use your best judgment, but I really want to encourage you to stand your ground as long as possible. And typically I do find that they will bend on certain things. And honestly, these days with uh, shipping and everything back order, they may bend on a whole lot more. I have seen that happen lately in my own business where they're like, oh, thank God you're going to take it over. Great. You do it. Now you have to be prepared to do that as well. As far as the expediting, the extra time, you need to factor that into your fees, but also the receiving. If something's really large or really heavy, you know, and you have a small office, you need to be giving all of that consideration when you are pushing for this, right? You've got to be careful what you wish for, in other words. But that is a component that when on these bigger projects, they will probably push you the most on that. So, okay, you're going to be keeping up with the schedule. You're going to be meeting their deadlines. You're going to be filling them in on the personalities of the clients who are actually building this home. And you're going to talk to them about purchasing. 
So the last type of project, and I just got off of one like this, was what I call a midsize, right? It was a construction company that had two or three teams, not a huge construction company, and they had their subs. A lot of their trade didn't work for them. They were subcontractors. They had a, quote, project manager on the team. Now, this was a unique project. I've spoken briefly about it in the past. My client has some health issues, and my team, because of the pandemic and all of the delays, couldn't meet this deadline, and I really wanted her to have this beautiful bathroom to basically create a sanctuary for her. So I actually was the one to suggest, let's go find a team that can take this on and start immediately. So yes, it was my suggestion. And I, of course, knew what I was getting into. And sadly, I was right. It's a pretty big annoyance. These huge new build construction teams, that's a different beast. And there are pretty delineated roles, like I just described. On these smaller projects where there is, quote, a project manager, it gets a little messy. And there can be, in my experience, some pretty big gray area. So again, I reached out to the woman who they said is the project manager. I introduced myself. I explained the situation. I actually didn't mention the health situation because the client had told me she did not disclose that to them. So I felt that that was not my information to share, but I did kind of press the urgency because she was questioning as to why I wasn't doing it in the first place. We had actually never met, but she had heard of me and I, I knew of this company. So I was talking to her about how I was busy and that she was going to be doing the project, but these were the roles I was going to be taking on, right? I was going to be doing certain site visits. She didn't have a subcontractor, for instance, for the wallpaper because he was busy. I said, great, let me check with mine. I used mine. So it sort of kind of created its own path where I managed the trades that I was bringing in. And that ended up being not only the wallpaper hanger, but the painter. And she was managing and scheduling the trades that she was bringing in, the carpenter, the plumber, the electrician. Now, of course, since I did all of the design work, I did all of the specifications, and I did some of the purchasing, which I'll talk about in a minute, there was again overlap, right? I had purchased these Mac Daddy beautiful sconces, and they were hyper over-engineered, and they were very skinny. And so I had to meet with the electrician because the project manager wasn't familiar with them, right? So it did get pretty, you know, gray, frankly. And she and I communicated far more than I had anticipated because she was kind of bowing out and tapping me into the game when there were certain circumstances. There was one with the plumbing. There was one with the sconces that I just mentioned. And then there were some issues with the tile that came in. So the tile was another beast. They used their own installer who, in fact, I'd worked with one other time years ago. And lo and behold, this time, he insisted on purchasing the tile. And as you know, as we've discussed, the tile purchases create a decent markup. And so while A, I had specified them from a very small resource I have up in Philadelphia, I was a little annoyed by that. I knew he likely didn't have an account. It was also someone I worked with for 10 years, and she wasn't very happy to now be working with this tile guy directly. So behind the scenes, there's all this back and forth. The woman at the showroom was questioning what she needed to do and what role she would play and how she could loop me in. And frankly, that time was very hard to account for because it was never intended to go that way, right? I don't have tile installers who insist on purchasing the tile. 
So I spoke with the project manager. I said, is there any way that you can tell your subcontractor that I will be doing the purchasing? She apparently did reach out to him, or so she said. And the answer was, no, this is how he works. And I said, great. How, what is his markup? And she said, oh, I don't know that. Um, he's never given that to me. He just gives me a price and I plug it into the budget. And I said, well, have you discussed that with my client? Because you have a contract. She has seen your contract. She sees what your markups are. Shouldn't she know who everyone else's markups are? I mean, she's seen my contract. She sees what my markups are. You know, I, I come from a full transparency perspective in our industry. And she was flummoxed. This project manager, I guess no one's ever asked her before. And so again, because I had specified the tile from a woman that I work with, she had already sent me the wholesale price, my pricing, because I had every intention of doing the purchasing. So when my client sent me how much she was being charged, I kid you not, I nearly fell out of my chair. He was actually, I can't figure out what his percentage was. It was some random number, but he was charging more than retail. And I, again, was raised to be ethical. And I told my client that he's overcharging and that she needed to insist on seeing what his markup is. And long story short, and I do understand the why, she said, you know what, Renee, I get I'm overpaying it, but I have bigger fish to fry in my life. And I really want this to keep moving forward because she knew it would cause a delay, which it would have. I would normally insist that my client follow through on that. But given her health situation, I... I tell you, it killed me to allow this man to take full and utter advantage of my client. But I did for the better good, but she knew she was overpaying. And sadly, for a variety of reasons, she became okay with that, or she could at least be at peace with that, knowing that the project would not be delayed a couple of weeks, which it probably would have, as we all know, how delays pile up. So these are the types of situations that you just can't plan for. I have members in the course, I have designers calling me, asking me how they best estimate hours for a project. And basically, you best estimate it. But that's all it is. It's an estimate. So say for on that project, yes, my internal spreadsheet showed a markup fee for the tile that vanished, right? So all of a sudden, the profit margin on that job completely changed. The behind the scenes, the communication really was hard to gauge because it was such a strange situation having this project manager as well and all of our overlapping roles. And so did I make a lot of money on that project? No. And that will happen. And I want you all to hear that. Was I happy about it? Nope, definitely not. But what I will say is I had a very, very happy client in the end. She actually thanked me for being accommodating to such an unusual role because she knew that that was not how I manage projects. And then, of course, I was able to take fabulous photos of the work. And so you will come into situations where these overlapping roles are extremely hard to estimate your hours as well as the fees that are associated with purchasing. But that's why I want you to understand how these kind of four different types of projects run and how you can get ahead of it so that you can be as thoughtful as possible when you're coming up with your own fee schedules and contracts and know internally what your best guess profit margins will be so that you can plan for the upcoming weeks, months, and filling that pipeline with other projects. 
So again, I would love to say that you will be managing your own projects and handling all the details and know from start to finish how it will all play out. But the good news is when you're working on these bigger projects, you're exposing yourself to a bigger market of industry partners who will help fill that pipeline based on the experiences that they've had with you. So again, the more transparent you can be, the more firm you can be on where you will and won't bend on items that you typically manage. That is how you are going to have a happy client and also a client that understands everybody's roles. And they're not left wondering, am I double paying? Am I paying the super to do the same thing I'm paying my designer to do? And whether they'll let you know that or not, you don't want that to seep into a project because it creates this distrust and worry that never ends well for a project. So the more you can be proactive and transparent with these contractors and these various projects, the better off everybody will be and you will be better off because you will understand your own role. There's nothing worse than just sort of going, well, I'm not sure, should I be doing this? Oh crap, maybe he's doing this. And that's when projects slow down because nobody has a clear understanding of what they're doing. But this is a way you can do it. This is the way you can also show your expertise and professionalism and take the bull by the horns and make sure that everybody on the project understands your role as well as their own. So I hope this helps. I have been hearing a lot about this from designers who I've spoken to recently. And again, please feel free to take me up on the 20-minute free call. That's where a lot of this conversation has been happening. I'm happy to go over your specific details that you're struggling with or even projecting to have. That's a great conversation to have and one that I love sharing so that a designer feels more confident in their own skills. So for today. I can't thank you enough for your time. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you for listening today and feel free to join me on social media at Davine Design in order to stay up to date on the latest happenings in my construction world. There is more detailed information on my website for my signature courses for both homeowners and designers, as well as other material to help guide you through a successful renovation project. Make sure to follow my podcast so that you get notifications of new episodes so you don't miss a tip. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the word, leave a review, and tell your friends who are starting or are mid-project. And thank you again for listening today.